Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we have a lot to talk about. Um, I said that we were going to do two podcasts today. Yesterday I said that. That is not true. We're actually just going to do one podcast today, and then we'll actually have another podcast tomorrow, and in that podcast we'll talk about the women's tournament and uh, what's on the way for them. Could knock out a position preview too. We'll figure that stuff out. But today, we have two things that we got to get through. Um, Colorado's men's basketball season ended last night in the NIT. We're going to dig into that loss. Maybe get into a bit of a season recap, um, but not not probably get too deep into it. Also, the uh, football team had its pro day today. So for those of you who don't pay attention to that stuff, basically the pro day is where all the guys who are headed to the draft are going to run their 40 and do the bench press and do all those sorts of things. So we got to run through some of that stuff. JT Shrout was out there slinging the ball around to the tight ends and going through all the drills. Like He was, he was their passer for all these drills. Uh, so... A couple notes there, too, honestly. Uh, but we're going to start with some basketball before we get into all that. I'm excited. Hope you are, too. And we can dig right in. All right. So um, this won't necessarily be the most fun to talk about because Colorado lost. And uh, it wasn't that impressive of a performance from them. Uh, it was honestly just kind of frustrating to watch. Uh, final score, 76 to 68. The Buffs were right in it down to the last like minute and a half or so. Tristan Da Silva had a little and one, um, converts it to tie the game at 68 with 216 left. Uh, from there, St. Bonaventure went on an 8-0 run to close the game out, and that was that. Uh, throughout the game, kind of disappointing. Uh, just, just the Buffs weren't clicking. And I think we we talked with Keyshawn and with Evan after the game. And they both basically said the same thing, and so did Tad. It just St. Bonaventure wanted it more. St. Bonaventure wanted to win that game more than Colorado did, and it was evident. And they pointed out it was evident from the jump. You know, the the 
the Bonnies went up uh, ten to two. Uh, yeah, ten to two early on. You know, they go and they get an alley oop on the first one, on the first possession. Then they have a fast break layup, knock down a couple threes. Just immediately, you could tell that their energy level was on a totally different level than Colorado's. Uh, Colorado, though, has a lot of talent, and that that kept them in it. Really, again, though, just just the 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 big theme throughout talking to all those guys and Tad too, just not a great effort. You know, the the hustle wasn't there, the attention to detail wasn't there, whatever the reason. That was not the Buffs' A game. And because, again, they're so talented, they were right there in it. Um, they actually they had a great chance to win that game. They were up by 10 with, let's see, where is it? Oh, 46-36 with 18 minutes left. And with 15 minutes left, it was a one-point game. So in those two minutes, there was just a crazy run. And it's, uh, it's disappointing. It was disappointing to see because they had that game under control. Um, we don't need to talk too much about the, the big picture of the NIT at this point because like the buffs aren't in it. And if we're going to talk college basketball, might as well talk about March madness, but just to kind of refresh 32 team tournament, the buffs would have been on the road playing Oklahoma this weekend if they'd won, um, one more win after that, I believe. And they would be headed to Madison square garden for the final four. There was potential to build a lot of momentum. There was potential to to get some tournament experience. You know, these are the types of games that everything comes down to in March. You know, you get so caught up in like we need to play this style of basketball. We need to do this. If if we we need to beat this team by at least ten because that's how you max out the net rankings. And this is a a, a team that we should be beating. Like you know, all those different things that come into play. When you get to the tournament, it's just go play basketball. Like find some way to win and survive and move on. And, and that's what it's all about. And I think that it would have been really valuable for such a young team to have that experience. But again, Tad made it clear. St. Bonaventure just wanted that game more. And, and it makes sense that they would, right? Because you look at how that team is constructed. They don't sub much. You know, I think they had they had one guard come off the bench for like three minutes. They had two centers come in. I think one played like five minutes and one played two minutes, something like that. And, and the rest was the starters. You know, they had two starters who played the entire game. They had four starters who 36 minutes or more, they were on the court. All five of those starters are seniors. You could tell that this is a game that um, this is a game that they wanted. You know, they wanted to go on a run. They wanted to extend their careers. Whereas Colorado didn't quite have that same sort of energy. Um, you know, I think, I think it might've been Evan. It was Evan or Keyshawn. I think it was Evan who just said like, they were just happier to be here. You know, this to them, like they were excited to be here. They wanted to go play in this tournament and we didn't feel like we did or whatever. Um, yeah. So, so there you go. I mean, it, it was a chance to really create some positive momentum going into next season, get some tournament experience. Didn't happen, and so you have to move along. Uh, getting into the details of the game, I think the big storyline is Jabari Walker. Uh, he struggled. He really, really struggled in this game. I think that this was pretty easily his worst game of the season. Um, you know, there's so he he played four minutes against CSU Bakersfield, and then got hurt and didn't play the rest of that game. Last night, if we don't include that game where he got hurt. It was only the second time all season that he hadn't scored at least 10 points. You know, he'd gotten to double digits in all of the games except for this one and one other. 
Um, he scored six. He was two of ten from the field. Uh, eight rebounds, three assists. Didn't turn the ball over. Uh, it was gross. It was it was just a struggle for him. Um, and I don't want to bash him too hard because again, like, yes, he had a bad game. He had a bad game, and that sucks, especially when it comes at this time. But he's been one of your most consistent contributors all year, right? I mean, what did I say about the 10-point the games? You know, 17 double-doubles, the most in the Pac-12 by a, a large margin. He's a really good basketball player, and he, he showed up just about every night. And he might not have given you an A-plus game every single night, but he was giving you a solid B night in and night out up until yesterday. And, you know, it, it he... Even a consistent player is going to have a down game at some point, and it was just a poorly timed down game from Jabari. Um, it didn't help that he was going up against uh, Osun Osuniyi, the center for St. Bonaventure. He's a really good player. He's a very good defensive player in particular. And, you know, we talked about this going into the game, right, where... This is kind of a small team. It's a small St. Bonaventure team. You know, there's four starters who are six foot five or shorter. That gives Colorado some serious advantages because, you know, we've got Tristan De Silva starting at the three. He's six foot nine, six foot ten, whatever. He's four or five inches taller than whoever he's going up against on every possession. So you, you, it's easy to look at, at these rosters and say, okay, size advantage, Colorado. But when you actually get out on the court, and you see that there's this m- massive center. I mean, and even he's like 6'10", 6'11". He's not like a true seven-footer or anything like that. Um, but 6'10", and he can jump. And Colorado's tallest player is Tristan De Silva at 6'9". Jabari, I think, is right there too. It's All of a sudden, they have that size mismatch in the paint that you don't really expect when you just run through and take a quick glance at, at the, the sizes of the guys on this team. And, and it allows them to play differently, too. You know, when you have a, a big rim protector like a Sunni, and for reference, I mean, 13 points, 5 and 9 from the field, but the four blocks are really what stands out. Um, it, it just changes the shape of the defense. It changes the shape of the defense because, and I think Keyshawn pointed this out, too, but basically your guards can can try to pressure. You know, your guards can push out a little bit and, and see if they can get the ball away because... If, if they get beat defensively, well, all of a sudden you've got this guy waiting in the post to to knock the ball away, to, to block shots, to do whatever. Um, and, again, you don't really have that size advantage. Now, you also do have, you know, he's he was typically guarding Evan Batty, and he, he left him a little bit, and I think Evan got some decent looks because of it. Um, but, you know, that's... If, if you wind up giving Evan Batty six or seven three-point attempts. Like, you don't love doing that. But if it means that you're dominating in the paint, yeah, Evan's probably going to hit three of those and score nine points off of them. But that those nine points aren't going to end the game in the way that guards getting free runs to the rim would. And so that's just that little trade-off that they're all right with. Um, like I said about Tristan Da Silva, he, he did have that mismatch. He was the the one guy on the court who probably had the biggest size advantage for either team. And you saw him take advantage of that at points. You also saw him 
struggle at points. You know, by the end of the game, though, five of ten from the field, thirteen points, five boards, four assists, two turnovers. Like that's that's a solid line. He was also a minus seventeen, though, um, which was by far the worst on the team. You know, the Buffs lost his minutes, his thirty minutes, by seventeen points. Next worst was Jabari. They lost his minutes by eight points. The only player finishing in the positive was Keyshawn Bartholomew. We'll get to him in a second. But for Tristan, there's there's pieces you like, there's pieces you don't like. You know, there were some really great passes. And and, and that, to me, has been the biggest development of his over the course of this season, is his ability as a passer. And I was actually talking with Mark Johnson about this down at uh, basketball, or sorry, at the pro day today, and he said the same thing. Basically, like you could just see him growing. You could see how talented he is, and you could see how he could take this next step next year. And even if you lose Jabari Walker, well, guess what? There's Tristan ready to step in, play the four where he's probably better suited, and then you're good to good to go. You you, you let him kind of run the show and hope that he does take that step forward. Um, still some mistakes. Still got beat on defense a couple times. Those two turnovers weren't they weren't pretty turnovers. Not that turnovers usually are. Um, but I mean, I was surprised to see minus 17 because I knew he struggled, but it's a big number. Um, it is worth noting most of his production came in the second half, nine points in the second half. Um, I think that's about all I've got on him. Um, like I said, Keyshawn played really well. Uh, he was six to seven from the field, 15 points. Uh, he, he, he made a case for himself. And th- this was the first time since he's gone to the bench where I said, you know, maybe he should be the starter. You know, maybe he should have been in the starting lineup. And again, you knowing what we knew coming into the game, it was absolutely the right decision to put him on the bench to start the game. Uh, but now having that, if there was one more game, I'd be curious to see if Keyshawn is back in the starting lineup. You know, um, he was really efficient, and we mentioned that ten to two start for uh, for Saint Bonaventure. I mean, he subs in at the seventeen minute mark. Uh, Thirty seconds later, he hits a three. Twenty three seconds after that, he hits a two point jumper. Um, so you get that quick little run from him, and all of a sudden it's ten to seven. Uh, winds up with nine points in the first half. He didn't miss in the first half. Just a really... He came in and did what you want a bench guard to do. You know, he was able to just fill it up, and and that was very valuable. Like I said, he was the one player who finished in the positive in this game. Um, he had two assists. He had a rebound. He had a block. Didn't turn the ball over. One of his better performances as a Buffalo. Um... Let's see, who else do we need to get to? Honestly, I don't even know. I mean, Evan Batty was solid. He was 1 of 4 from 3, 5 of 9 overall. 14 points, 5 boards, a couple turnovers, a steal in there. Yeah, it's 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 weird because, you know, so often we're talking about these games in the context of, okay, what do they need to clean up for the next one? But now the season's over. You know, that 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 time of year has come where it's, eight months of looking forward to the next season and trying to figure out what the buffs are going to look like. Um, and, and to that point, Tad said that he was going to take today to meet with his assistants and watch him film, do that sort of stuff, and then have all of his end of season meetings 
with his players on Thursday and Friday. So meet with them one-on-one, talk about what they need to improve on, see if they're planning on sticking around. That's a part of those conversations now that the transfer portal is a thing. Um, so that's all coming in the next couple days. And I guess, I guess the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to football is, you know, when the, the season ends, this is when the fire Tad Boyle people get louder. And usually I just ignore them because like they, here's my thought is that basically they don't know what they're talking about. Like if you look at this program and say fire Tad Boyle, I just, that's, that's not close. That's not close. It's, it's not like, like sometimes you look at a coach and you're like, yeah, you could see why they, they'd want to move on. You could see why you want to stay. It's, it's a tough, it's tough to weigh the pros and cons and figure out where you want. With Tad Boyle, it's pretty simple. You want him to be your head coach. Now, I get that, you know, you can look at, I mean, I nobody in the Pac-12, but and you look at Duke or North Carolina, but even those schools, like, they're, they're almost always in the NCAA tournament. They make runs occasionally. Um, but but you look at those elite of the elite programs, and yeah, like, there is there is another gear that Colorado could kick it into. And I think that you look back and say, you know, the one tournament appearance two years ago um, hadn't been in one for a few years before that. Um, would have would have had the tournament appearance in the COVID year, um, but again, COVID cancels that tournament. Um, and so you do look at it and say, yeah, over the course of his tenure, would you like to go to NCAA, more NCAA tournaments? Yes. But also, he's been there in two of the last three years, and that's a really good mark for a coach at just about any school but definitely at Colorado. Um, I think that the biggest thing to me is that the program continues to improve. I, th- I think that sometimes fans just look and say, well, here's, here's what's happened. This is what he is. And that's not how this works. Like coaches get better. You know, you, you continue to grow. And the idea, imagine if, if, if the football team goes and hires Lincoln Riley. What's going to happen? Well, they're going to go out there and they're going to win four games next year. And the year after that, they're going to go win five or six games. The year after that, they're going to win, they'll probably win at least six games and go to a bowl game. And then you get to seven or eight or nine. But, but it takes time to build a program. And what we're seeing now, a decade in, is that time that, the buffs have put into building this program totally working off or yet working out. Sorry. It's a, like I said, two of the last three years to go to the tournament. That's great. It sucks that you didn't this year, but also you were one or two wins away from making the tournament this year with an incredibly young team. You know, the expectation next year is absolutely to go to the tournament. Um, And then that's, that's an expectation that was not common at Colorado prior to tab Boyle. And what's the stat? Like they've had, 13 total 20-win seasons, and nine of them have come since Tad Boyle got to Boulder. That's 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago now. Um, You just see that level up. And is there another step? Yes. But I don't think there's a reason to think that Tad Boyle can't take that step because, again, we're seeing this program continue to grow. You know, this is a program with a very clear upward trajectory. I think this year is kind of a little step back, obviously, but that's what happens when you lose a bunch of seniors. Now you throw in the fact that it's the best recruiting class in the history of Colorado and say like, oh, well, again, recruiting-wise, this is this is the peak. 
This is the highest point in Colorado history in terms of recruiting. Now, you got to get that to translate to the court, but even on the court, you're saying this is a down year, and the bus finished with 20 wins. So what happens next year and the year after? Like, you're always going to have those cycles, and I get the, 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 the frustration of, well, this is... Every four years, you have this peak. That's that's when you have one of the, the, the class that everything's kind of built around come through. And yeah, if you only go to the tournament in that final year of those cycles, that's disappointing. That's not good enough long-term. But if you can go in two years of those cycles, and what, this is year one of one of those cycles, if you go to the tournament next year, you expect to go to the tournament two more years after that, well, all of a sudden, you just went three out of four years for the cycle, you know? And so I think that... It's really easy to get caught up in the moment, but I also think that if you don't want Tad Boyle as your basketball coach, you are just crazy. Um, he is, he's, he's continuing to build this program. It, it, it keeps getting better year after year. And again, the results a little step back, but you look at the talent in the program and say, yeah, it, this is a team that pretty easily gets back to the tournament next year, at least on paper. Now they got to go do it, but when what we saw from this team in the last month or two of the season was that this is a tournament-caliber team. This is a team that could get into the tournament and go win games. Now, it's about resume, and that's why the fact that they were all 18-year-olds who never played college basketball before was a problem early on, and that's why they don't get in. But if you don't see this last three, four, five, six, I mean, the entire tenure of Tab Boyle as a pretty clear upward trajectory, that's... I we just don't I just don't understand that. I don't understand that at all. Um I think that you can look at the results and say, okay, they lost their tournament game and they lost in the second round last year. Uh they they didn't make the tournament this year and say, Oh, this is great. But the thing is, he, there has been no plateau, right? They're they're still moving upward very, very clearly, I think. Best recruiting class, 20-win season at the front end of one of these cycles. I I don't know. I'm kind of repeating myself at this point, but I, let's look at the big picture here and see what's happening and realize what's on the way. And what's on the way is a basketball season that's going to be a lot more fun than this season was. And we, and we knew that all along. You know, we came into this season saying this is a rebuilding year. After that, though, that's when things are going to, to kind of level up a bit, you know, we said it would be great if they could make it to a uh, like an NCAA tournament appearance, but that's probably going to be tough. Next year, though, and, and so I think that when we have those standards set where they're set and they're set appropriately, like I don't think that you could ask any coach to come in and just go to the tournament with these circumstances this year. I mean, it would be great if they did, but... I don't want to call this season like a resounding success, but they probably did about what we expected. Just barely missed out on the tournament. Um, maybe you expected more success in the NIT, but whatever happened in the NIT happened and it's time to move on. And we'll find out about next year when next year comes, that's going to be a big off season. We'll see how many players leave. Um, obviously you lose Evan, you lose Eli two really big losses. Uh, do you lose Jabari too? I still think it's probably better than 50-50 that he's gone. Um, who else? There's probably one or two, right? And we can speculate and guess if we want, and we'll have time to do that at some point here. But we'll see what happens when it happens. We'll see who they replace 
those guys with, how they patch the holes of the transfer portal. Um, and next year, the expectations are a step higher because there's a lot of talented basketball players on that team, and they're capable of a lot. Uh, so there's there's my thoughts on all that stuff. Uh, let's jump into the pro day. Real quick, though, Breckenridge Brewery. Um, I mentioned yesterday that we are going to the Justin Bieber concert tonight, which, uh, I don't know. I mean, you guys know me pretty well at this point. Most of you, I would guess. Um, not, not a huge Justin Bieber guy myself, but I, uh, I do like Breckenridge Brewery and I will be leaning heavily on my friends at Breckenridge Brewery tonight. Um, it might be a little bit awkward because I'm assuming I'm going to be surrounded by teenage girls along with my girlfriend who is, you know. She's my age. Uh, just don't want that to sound weird. But, um, yeah, Breckenridge Brewery, going to help me get through this night, going to make all of the sports I watch over the next few days a lot of fun. Come down to the DMVR bar. I'm going to be spending a lot of time at the DMVR bar the next couple days um, because, obviously, I mean, I've got to watch all these basketball games. Uh, I think we should be able to get that women's game on. I just realized I hadn't looked into that if you here's here's the thing. If if any of you come down to the DMVR bar Friday for the women's game, and I, actually I'm also just assuming that it's going to be open. Um, I'll have the details on that yesterday. I know that there was some conversation about all that yesterday. Um, but if any of you come down for the women's game on Friday, I will personally make sure that it is on a TV. If it's just me watching it and there's a bunch of people watching the other games, then like, okay, I might just watch it on my computer, whatever. But if anybody else wants to watch it, I am absolutely down to watch it. And it'd be a lot of fun to have a couple of us down there. We should we should work on that, right? Like, let's definitely get a group there. And I'm going to make sure this bar is open. I'll have more details tomorrow. But but if you're looking for plans to watch that game, come down to the DNVR bar. Um, drink some Breckenridge beers, too. Uh, those two things. Remember, if you're a member, then you can get... 24 ounce beers for the price of a 16 ounce beer at the DMVR bar. It's a steal of a deal. Don't miss out on that. And also don't miss out on athletic greens. So athletic greens is awesome stuff. It's basically this powder. It's all crushed up. You put it in your drink, you drink the drink, and then you're really happy you did it because it has 75. I have the hiccups. Terrible time. Um, I bet, I bet athletic greens would help with the hiccups. I don't have that like based on anything, but there's so much stuff in there. Something has to fix hiccups. It's all vitamins and minerals and superfoods and all that. Just one little scoop. It actually tastes good, um, which I'm not going to, it shocked me. I, I was ready to be like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to it. It's going to be good for me. If I have to plug my nose every morning when I drink this, so be it, but actually pretty good. Um, definitely check all of that out because it truly is really good stuff and uh, it's it's just good for you. Right now, if you sign up, and, and you sign up by going to athleticgreens.com slash buffs, that's athleticgreens.com slash B-U-F-F-S, you will get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and, a fi- and five free travel packs with your first purchase. It's an awesome deal, so make sure you get in on that. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash buffs to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. So, uh, pro day, (laughs) pro day. Um, let's see, how do we want to do this? These are the things that I need to start planning before the podcast. Um, but you know what? Sometimes it's more fun to fly by the seat of our collective pants. 
Fun to think of that, right? All of us sharing pants. Um, so there's a couple things we got to get through. Uh, really, really, the day was mostly about Carson Wells. You know, there there were six Buffaloes, if you include Akil Jones, who came back to to do CU's pro day after not playing for CU this season. Uh, six Buffaloes who were out there in front of scouts from about a dozen teams. I'd say about a dozen teams. Um, all of them obviously have a chance to get drafted. Uh, Carson Wells, Nate Landman, those are the two who really stand above the rest, right? Like, those are the two who you expect to get drafted. You expect to get picked at some point um, next month. Nate did a lot of work at the Combine. And so that uh, that kind of speaks for itself, right? Like, there's a couple new numbers to look at. But, but it was a really, really, really big day for Carson Wells. Uh, so we got to dig into Carson. We got to dig into those other guys. Um, and uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, JT Shrout was the thrower. So that means, like, you have the, the tight end, Matt Lynch. He's out there running routes. Somebody needs to throw him the ball. You could have, like, a coach do it, but guess what? Coaches typically don't have as good of an arm as a college quarterback. Uh, so I I personally may have enjoyed watching J.D. Shrout throw the ball around more than any of the other stuff. Uh, so we're, so we're going to cap this off by talking about a little bit of J.T. Shrout later on. Um, so there's a good plan for the pro day stuff. Uh, first of all, I should say... There were guys from a bunch of different schools. So you have, like, the Northern Colorado guys come down. Um, the I don't, think, I don't think Mesa was there. Uh, what is the other school? I feel really bad about not knowing. Um, there's one more school in Colorado. We just saw them. But, but you did have some other guys who, obviously, like, if Northern, Northern Colorado does have a pro day, not as many people from the NFL go to that as go to the CU Pro Day. So it's valuable. It's valuable to come down and work out with the Buffs. Uh, so there were some other things going on. You know, there was a running back running routes as well. Um, there were quite a few people who planned on skipping parts of the workout. Um, so you, you have, you know, the, the, the typical drills that everybody goes through. The, the 40 time is the big one. The bench press is out there. The broad jump, the vertical jump, the, the different shuttle runs, all that different stuff. And some guys were picking and choosing what they were and were not going to do. Uh, so right when everything started, there was a, a guy, I think from CU, or maybe it was the guy who was running um, the, the, the show on the scout side, basically say, okay, so this guy's not doing this. Um, you know, Nate isn't doing either of the jumps or the 40 um, and then some of the other stuff. A scout from the Steelers basically said, come on, guys, like, what are you doing? You, you guys come out here. What if, if you guys don't want to work out, we don't want to work you out. You think that this, blah, blah, blah. And it was kind of harsh, and it went on for 45 seconds. And, you know, it makes sense, right? Like, the scouts, some of it, I'm sure, is legitimate frustration. Like, oh, we came out here. We want to see you guys work out. But a lot of it, I think, is, you know, pressuring them into doing i guess that at every pro day across the country there's a scout who says you guys better do all these drill drills it says a lot about you if you don't do the drill blah 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 and the guy came across as a bit of a jerk um to be <laughs> to be frank about it uh, but because of that and this is the the reason i talk about this we did see more guys do drills that they weren't necessarily prepared to do um so like i think there was a northern colorado guy who planned on doing some of the stuff at the next pro day, like the bench press or whatever. Um, the story, though, Mustafa Johnson. So Mustafa Johnson did not plan on doing the bench press. He was not going to bench press. 
And, you know, it was that good decision, a bad decision. I don't know. Last minute, though, changes his mind after after the, the scout from the Steelers really gets on everybody and says, yeah, I'll, I'll bench press. Goes out there, 29 reps. And 29 reps is a really good number. And for those of you guys who don't dig into this too deeply, that is a really good number. And notably, you'll remember Mustafa actually went through the whole draft process last year, wound up trying to get to a camp, never signed a deal, so he was technically eligible for play, to, to play for the Buffs again last season, used that COVID year, um, and also uh, had to sit out because he took an advance from his agent, which is obviously totally fine if you're going to the NFL, but it's not allowed to take that money from an agent when you're still playing college football, which he didn't know at the time he was going to be, and so there was the suspension after that, and he had to pay it back, all that sort of stuff. But the point is, he has done the bench press before, and last year at the Pro Day, 27 reps. This year, like I said, 29 reps. And that's without prepping for the bench press. You know, the, it, again, that's a mistake on the planning side, right? Like, you should be prepped to, to do that. Um, but he obviously didn't expect to do it. Um, so 29 reps and you factor in, it's probably 31, right? If he's been thinking, how do I bench press the most I can possibly bench press on March 16th? Um, so I think bench press-wise, that, that was the biggest story, and that's where everything started out. Um, 29 reps for him. Kari Cooch, also 29 reps. It was a good day for him. Um, he's somebody who's on the outside looking in, um, but he measured in at 6'4", 297. That's really solid. Um, the the wingspan at 79 and an eighth, that's solid. The 32 and 3 eighths arms, that's solid. The tape is going to be good. Um, so for him to put up 29 reps, let's. I'm actually going to pull up some of these combine numbers and, and just so we can give some context to some of these things because it's good to know. Like, uh, you know, average interior lineman had whatever. So 18 linemen at the combine did the bench press. The best number, Zion Johnson from Boston College with 32, Jamari Salyer with 31, Cole Strange with 31, Bernard Ryman with 30, Everybody else, 27 or fewer. So Kari would have fit in at number five in the entire combine um, out of, I guess that would be 19 guys. That's good for him. Now, obviously, everything doesn't come down to that, whatever, but notable. And um, I'm actually not sure if they'd call uh, Mustafa a defensive tackle or defensive end, but the, the defensive tackles mostly didn't bench press. The best number from any of the three defensive tackles, though, uh, Otito Ogbenaya from UCLA, we remember him, 29. Second best, 23 from DJ Davidson. For the defensive ends, uh, another old Pac-12 friend, Kayvon Thibodeau, he had the best number uh, on the bench press, 27 for him. So, again, you're looking at Mustafa and saying, at least bench press-wise, you and Kari would have been some of the top performers in that event. So that's that's really exciting stuff for them. Um, also on the bench press, uh, Nate Landman put up 20. That, that was a big test for him because he has the, the nagging shoulder injury. Um, so only, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys, seven linebackers did the bench press at the combine. Nate wasn't one of them. 
Um, they range from 27 to 20. So again, that that's not like a good number. Um, it's not a bad number, probably. It's kind of a small sample size. But considering that he has that shoulder issue that people wanted to see, that makes that much more notable. Um, let's see, what else? I, I guess we should run through some of these heights and weights before we move on. Mustafa at 6 feet, one eighth, 288 pounds. He said that he's actually up about 15 or 20 pounds from what he measured in at last year. Uh, I think he said 272 maybe. So that obviously is a big step in the right direction. Um, it's defensive line. You got to be a kind of big guy. Uh, but 29 reps, all that stuff, that was great for him. He didn't do much else. Um, Nate at 6'2 and a half, 234. That's good size for him. Carson, 6'2 and 6 eighths, 241 pounds. So he weighed in big, and we're going to talk about his 40 time here in a minute. Um, Matt Lynch, 6'4 and 3'8", 240. That makes him kind of the prototypical size. We'll talk about his 40 time as well. You know, I think that there's some some measurable things that work in his favor. Um, Akil Jones, 5'11", 227. Again, not, not too notable there. So let's move along to these jumps. Um, we'll start with, uh, I mean, so Nate Mustafa didn't do the jumps. We don't really care about the lineman jumps. No offense. So we're only talking about Carson Wells here. Um, 35 inch vertical that puts him very firmly in the middle of the pack. Um, maybe, maybe just below average, maybe 45th percentile instead of 50th. Um, but, but that's a, that's a solid number for him. Um, can't complain about that. Also, the broad jump um, among linebackers, you know, he he had a nine foot nine inch broad jump. Only three broad jumps out of the probably twenty or so linebackers who, who did the broad jump at the combine. Only three were less than that. Um, so again, not not great numbers there. Um, and then finally, the the forty yard dash. I guess not finally, but we finally get to talk about it, and I'm excited to talk about it. Carson ran a 4.56. Carson ran a 4.56. And also, I brought my own stopwatch. I was timing all this stuff. I had him at a 4.56, and I was standing there talking with uh, with Brian Howell and Mark Johnson. We were just, like, hanging out, timing, um, and Mark was like, so what would Carson run? I was like, I had him at a 4.56, I might have started it just like maybe a, a touch late or something. Like that's it's got to be more like a four six two or something because that is an unbelievable time for Carson. And it turns out I was dead on. It was a four five six. So this is me flexing my timing ability. Um, I, yeah. I also heard from Chandler Durrell that you you probably use the uh, the pointer finger instead of the thumb, uh, which is news to me. Um, so you know form is going to get better. I'm going to improve all that sort of stuff. But a four, five, six, 40 yard dash. Um, let me let me count these real quick. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys better at the combine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen guys behind him at the combine. That's a good time. That's a good time. And you know, there's other stuff you don't love. We talked about those jumps, but. Uh, but the 40 time is the flashy one. Um, I, I, I think that that was 
a, a pretty significant um, development for Carson, and I think that we're going to see that drill in particular potentially pay off at draft time. Um, we can we can touch on a couple of these others. Uh, the 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 twenty yard shuttle. That's a that's a big one. I think we didn't see many guys do it at the combine in terms of linebackers, and so that makes it tough to put into context. It was a it was a good time for Nate though. He has the four three two um, times at the combine. Terrell Bernard four twenty five, Chad Muma four twenty eight, Darian Beavers four twenty eight, Nephi Sewell four thirty three. Jeremiah Moon four five five, so only five guys do it. That four three two technically would be fourth out of six, but that's a very good time for Nate. It shows that he has the ability to change directions a little bit. Um, Carson with a four five one. That's it's nothing special, but I do think that it probably hits that that baseline that you need to have for guys for for, for teams to look at you and say, yeah, that's draftable. Here's what's more notable, though. What's more notable is the three cone time, kind of the similar to. It's not really a shuttle because there's a little angle to it, but seven players did the three cone at the combine. Nate six eight eight, that would have beaten all of them. So again, when you're talking about Nate not being mobile, sure the forty time isn't great. He says he pulled a hammy um, about 22 yards in or something like that. And and because of that, his 10-yard split, his 20-yard split, those are good. And he's heard from teams that they, they liked what they saw there. But the, the long speed time, it wasn't ideal. Um, he, uh, he actually, I asked him, I think it was me. It might not have been me. Somebody asked him why he didn't run the 40 this time considering like that things didn't go great the last time and he basically said it's a business decision um you know he wants to be ready to go for mini camp and so he's not going to mess around with running that 40 again uh, he just wants to wind up somewhere and, and part of me wonders of course like okay so you pulled the hammy um okay you, sure you pulled the hammy that's what everybody says um so maybe you doubt it just a little bit. At the same time, though, we didn't expect his 40-yard time to be... That's, that's not what's getting Nate Landman drafted. But for him to come back with some of these mo- more mobile, side-to-side, change-of-direction type of drills with the times that he had, very big for him. Uh, the seven one one for Carson Wells here, again, that's... It's pretty average. It's pretty average among the, the small sample size of guys who ran it. You don't love it, but again, I think for Carson, you got to hit these baselines, and he hit the baselines across the board. Maybe a little bit of disappointment in, in the broad jump, but but generally hit those baselines, excelled on the forty, and and has the tape to back up uh, that that he is a good football player. And, and so again, for for both these guys, you really just you're not you're not getting drafted because of how you test, right? Uh, Davion Taylor, he was second. I think it was an early third round pick. That was because of how he tested, not because of what he was as a football player. For Nate Lamb and Carson Wells, it's we can play football and look, we're you can trust the eye test. We can we can do this minimum and, and we know what we're doing and we play well and we play physically and we understand the game. Draft us, look, this stuff isn't so bad. And so for them, very good days. 
I'm going to say very good days for both of them. Nate because of the testing, um, Carson because of that 40 time, and that easily makes up for a, a couple of the other numbers where he may have fallen behind just a bit. But again, he's he's not a tester. Um, and also to measure in at close to six three and over 240 pounds, that's big. That's really big for him. So uh, good days for them. Let's run back through with Matt Lynch a little bit because, again, 6'4", 240, good numbers for tight ends. Good numbers for tight ends. It's easy to look at that stuff and say, yep, that's a, that's a prototype. That's what we're looking for here. Matt also ran a 4.71 40-yard dash time. And, again, that's not, that's not a time where you say, oh, wow, what a freak. But it is a time that it, it would have been the number six time among tight ends in this combine out of, uh, out of 12. And it would have been 13, obviously. So it puts him just ahead of the middle of the pack with good size. And, you know, you look at some of the other stuff. The, the 20-yard shuttle, uh, he has a 4-3-4. That would have put him fourth out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, um, 11, 12 if you include him. So you're talking about upper third there. And again, that's that mobility, quick twitch, change of direction stuff. Uh, the, the three cone, well, the three cone, he has a, a seven flat. That would tie for the best. That would tie for the best at the combine out of. Eight guys, and he would be the ninth, obviously. So, I'm. I don't think Matt Lynch is going to get drafted. I didn't come into this saying, "Yeah, that's a guy who's going to get drafted." Those times, though, the measurements, though. Hey, all of a sudden, this is a guy who I think could probably get a shot. Um, and and. Coming into this, I would not have said Matt Lynch is going to be an NFL camp invitee. I think I think he's going to at least get a a, a practice uniform for a couple of days, and that's a, that's that's potentially the biggest development. Carson's forty time also a really big development. Uh, Mustafa and Kari putting up those twenty nine reps developments. I, I think both those guys. I don't think either gets drafted. I could see how Kari could sneak in. I think that with Mustafa going through what he did last year, and yes, he did get bigger and stronger, and I think he's a better football player. Did those, did that growth outpace having a, another year of of kind of baggage? Right, you know, if if you're a 21 year old who does these things, um, that's that's more exciting than a 22 year old who does those things, which is more exciting than a 23 year old, which is more exciting than 24. So so he does have that extra year in there. And I think that extra year probably counteracts most. Of, of the additions to his game, you know, whether it's the on the football field, whether it's the measurements, the measurables, whatever. Um, but I do think that he was so close last year. This is probably enough for him to at least get a chance somewhere. Um, not as a draft pick, maybe not even with a contract, but but a chance somewhere. Um, Kari could sneak in. Kari could sneak in, especially because I'm not sure how teams will look at the coaching situation at Colorado. You know, he's, he's gone through so many offensive line coaches. Last year was just chaos. I think it'd be pretty easy for him to sell, like, hey, look, this is what's up. This is what we went through. Now look at what I can do and, and see how productive I was 
despite this, if Arlington Hambright could get drafted, I don't see why Kari Kutch couldn't. So we'll we'll throw him there as a 50-50 seventh rounder type of guy. Um, Matt Lynch, who knows? Who knows? And before this, I thought I did know. And my apologies to Matt for that. Um, I think that might be it. I think that might be it for on-field stuff. And again, like the workouts in terms of mobility, change of direction when they're catching balls, that sort of stuff, nothing notable happened. You know, Matt Lynch didn't drop any passes. His routes look fine or fine. Um, again, it's more about the numbers than that stuff. Uh, I will add, though, that JT Shrout was out there throwing balls. And again, I'm not reading into the fact that he was throwing balls. I think that especially when there's a quarterback competition, you you give the guy who's closer to to being in position to be at his own pro day a chance to impress those scouts. You know, if if Brendan was the the guy with more experience, the guy who who has less eligibility left, I think it would have been Brendan. You know, so I'm not reading into the fact that it was him. Um, and there's a chance that you know Brendan just had class. I don't think I saw Brendan there. So there you go. Um, the fact that he was out there, not reading into that. What I will read into though, what do you look like? And what I'll say is. You know, you walk out there, you get out of the weight room, get on the field and see JT out there warming up. He's throwing balls about 20 yards. There's some zip. There's some serious zip on that ball. And, you know, what does that mean? I don't know. But that arm, that's an arm that it gets you excited. It gets you excited. Um, Just the, the delivery, the way he throws over the top, the way he, he kind of steps into those throws and bang, bang, bang. It's uh, he 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 gained a couple points in my book. You know his his arm caught my eye, and that makes you wonder. Just I mean, what is the evaluation on him, right? You know, we 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 know that he hasn't seen the field much. He's more of a pocket passer. I think that he he could he could run like some bootlegs, but you're not running read options or anything like that for him. Is that arm so strong that you say, okay, sit back there and throw some bombs? It might be. It might be. So if you wanted just a little bit of hope to end this podcast, that JT Shroud arm, it, it popped. And, and this, it wasn't just me who saw it. I'll say that as well. You know, you, you know there's plenty of media out there. You, you walk out, see him throwing, and then there was, there was chatter. I'll say that there was chatter when we got to see JT throw the ball. Um, spring ball so soon. I'm so excited. Um, we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, I think that's going to do it for today. Tomorrow we'll be back talking about the women's game against Creighton Friday morning. I haven't had a chance to dig into any of those stats yet, but we're going to do that tomorrow. So stay tuned. It should be a lot of fun. And and come down to the DMVR bar. Come down to the DMVR bar to watch at 1130 on Friday. I'll be there. It's going to be a good time. We're going to hang out. Let's go. Let's do it. It's going to be fun. Um, for those of you who won't be there, it's on ESPN News, so watch regardless of whether you're watching with me. Uh, that's going to do it for today, and I will see you guys tomorrow.